I'm Manjula Dubey, senior software engineer at Bookmy Show, and this is my second podcast at Geeks Tech Show. Today we have a pleasure and opportunity to learn more about uh, Justin Enzyme from Jeremy, who is a lead software engineer at New York Times. Justin Enzyme are the most widely used testing frameworks when you're working with React applications. So before I shoot a lot of questions to Jeremy, tell us a bit about yourself. uh where are you from what do you do sure so um um like you said I'm a lead software engineer at the New York Times um and I've been working over the past year or so uh to replatform the times from um what was a PHP uh stack on the back end and then jQuery and some backbone on the front end uh to a fully isomorphic app uh using react to render on the server and and then on the client um and then our, all of our data fetching requirements have been replatforming as well um from rest endpoints to uh, a single graphql server that we that we talk to now um and then I'm based in I live in New Jersey but I I commute into Manhattan uh for work every day <laughs> that's that sounds great so since our topic is on testing why writing test cases have been so important part in the software development life st- cycle but still i think developers end up not writing it and not doing it right so i th- it's it's a good question i think um the thing with testing is it when you're when you look at testing up front when you're sitting down to write a piece of code um your natural inclination is to kind of think through the solution and think through like what code you need to write to accomplish the task um and then in testing a lot of times is kind of an afterthought um and i think the reason for that is um uh, most of the time we don't see uh the dividends that comes with writing tests until um further down the line when somebody needs to refactor or like a new module comes in and it uses your function in a way that wasn't expected um and it breaks it um having a good set of unit tests at least gives you some confidence around uh future refactorings that you might need to do so there's also this mantra about you know test driven development and and test driven development or tdd um is very good for kind of if you're given a set of requirements and you have like a good idea about what your function or what your module needs to do you can kind of start with the tests and then um get a bunch of tests failing and then write your code and have like a test watcher running as you're writing your code and then eventually you know the tests would pass one by one as you kind of fill out um your module and your implementation to fulfill those tests Um and that's great but that's not always practical to do especially when we're talking about UI development or front end development you kind of can't you can't really write like a snapshot test for example up front you kind of have to start with the UI get it to a place that you're happy with and then write like a snapshot test afterwards um and the reason why you do that snapshot test um up front it's not it doesn't seem so valuable but it's really again more for future refactorings or when you're working in a large code base with a lot of teams you kind of want to have that assurance that changes that come in down the pipe won't mess with um what your test expects for your module or you your UI component to do 
I think yes. So I think uh, it also help it also helps and saves the developer's life. Like maybe you know uh, getting in uh, shoes on production. and you know getting a call from your boss on a weekend where you're like outside yeah, and, yeah. so a lot a lot of <laughs> yeah so a lot of uh, advantages uh well so uh, do you think before like react testing ui was easy and like was there any way uh, to test ui right so yeah that's a good question i would say it was in the past it was it was difficult to test ui mostly because the ui tests that you would see are uh selenium based tests uh which is is basically like a um a headless web driver or whatever that basically loads up your page clicks around on some buttons and then you have some assertions on like divs that you expect to see on the page or certain text that you expect to see and those tests are very difficult to write they're very time consuming to write and they're very brittle because any changes to the ui could cause those tests to fail um there's also a bunch of like network latency issues and things like that so when uh react came along um i wouldn't even say react is what helped make ui testing a little bit easier i would i would say there's a combination of enzyme and jest that helped make um testing ui components especially react components easier um because now instead of having to actually render uh anything onto a page you could just do like a render to string and then you assert that the string or the markup that your component is supposed to produce matches what you would expect um and that's much easier much faster than having to rely on selenium based tests all right I think so. We have like a lot of frameworks other than Jest. I think we have Ava. Why? Why mm-hmm. do you think Jest and Enzyme uh, turns out to be a good combination when you're testing React application? Yeah, that's a good question. I, we actually, at the times, we actually started with uh, Ava, um, and we liked it mostly because of you know it, it, it ran the tests in parallel, and so we knew that over time we were going to have a lot of tests, and and we liked that. And at the time, Jest wasn't really um, as popular as it is today. It was also kind of hard to use and hard to get it started with. Uh, this was back before you know Facebook really focused a lot of their attention on Jest. So uh, the question about like you know, why is Enzyme and Jest gotten so popular? I think it's just a lot of the uh, if you're working especially in the React app, there's not much you need to configure to get them working. Um, so it's basically just you know npm install Jest, npm install Enzyme. Uh, for Enzyme three in particular, you add an adapter to support like React sixteen or um, any other uh, front end library that you're using. Um, and then for the most part, like Jest in particular, will pick up your Babel config or whatever you're using uh, to transpile your JSX. And then it it mostly just works kind of out of the box, um, and it gives you like a really good baseline out of the box support for testing react components and it's really easy to get started with and there's a bunch of other great features that come along with jest that i think um helped for especially the unit testing side of uh the testing concerns yeah i agree i think I, the best part about jest is uh, the zero configuration thing which is like the learning curve like really really fast for any developer to pick up Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great, and the documentation is really good too. They did a very good job with their their documentation on the website. 
so uh considering just what what should be the parts that we should be testing in a react applications and like huge react application uh so which parts uh to test in a react application so for the for things like ui components um it's good to test like the markup especially if those components are shared amongst different uh different teams like for example at the new york times we have Uh, a separate home team who's responsible for the home page and a separate story team um, who's responsible for the story pages and amongst those two teams there's a bunch of shared components uh, for example uh, like the masthead or the page shell um, some header components and some uh, like video player components and things like that that are shared between those two teams and so we rely very heavily on uh, snapshot testing to make sure that you know if a story developer makes a change to one of those shared components that it um, any changes to the markup is made very obvious by a failing snapshot test and in that sense you know a home developer can chime in and say hey that might not work for us or Uh, hey, you know, be careful with this change. Like, we'll need to make some updates on our side. Um, so that that helps a lot. Um, but other than like those, you know, stateless components uh, and snapshot testing, um, a lot of the a lot of attention uh, in addition goes into sort of the the functional tests and the integration tests, which is basically um, testing the interaction between uh, different modules. So like if If we have some expressed middleware, for example, um, and then it, it expects uh, the next middleware in the chain uh, to handle some objects and that sort of thing, we want to test the interaction between those two links, uh, part of the middleware, and we, we treat those as uh, sort of integration tests between those two modules. Uh, so we see that we can do a snapshot testing as well and using Jest. That's like a very great feature provided by Jest. I mean, how do I decide whether, you know, so all of my components, should they be tested using snapshot? Uh, it's a good, like, bare bones minimum to have, um, especially if your component is uh, just a stateless component. Um, it just renders out some markup. Um, it's very easy to, to throw on a snapshot test around the component, you know, give it a bunch of um, objects, uh, it, it fill in the props that it, it's looking for, um, and then run a snapshot test on it. And then in some cases, if there's some logic within the component, what you want to test for is that the, the different combination of props are handled correctly. So, uh, for example, if you have a component that uh, renders... Um, A different markup based on the props that are passed in you'd want to have two snapshot tests because you want to test one for one combination of props and then another test for the other combination of props basically to test your logic more than you are testing that react you know renders what you expect because you're you're not as concerned with react doing its thing you trust that react has been tested you're more testing your logic around what markup is produced based on Um, you know, the, the, the conditionals that you wrote for uh, the props that are passed into the component. I see a lot of uh, questions on Medium, you know, whether they they try to compare, you know, whether I should be using Jest or Enzyme, where I think uh, Jest and Enzyme actually complement each other and they work together, you know, great. What do you think also if React has a shallow renderer? Why, why use Enzyme? Like why another package altogether? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, you could do just Jest by itself with a shallow renderer that it comes with, or, or the one that's provided with React, um, and then just test that way. But I think the power of using the combination of Jest and Enzyme is um, is really useful because Enzyme um, provides a very nice API for sort of uh, you know manipulating or, or, or to like traverse the markup that you expect to see. It gives you kind of a jQuery-like syntax for um, finding different nodes in, in the render tree. Um, you could even assert that the some props um, match the props that you expect uh, for some child component based on uh, some state that you gave it, um, that sort of thing. So, um, so it's, it's more than just snapshot testing. It's also for you know finding nodes and and pulling them out, and then doing like individual snapshot tests on parts of the tree, which is really cool because you could do things like um, you do you render dot find, and then you look for like a button or whatever component you're looking for, and then you could wrap a snapshot test around just that piece of the tree, which is really powerful for when you have like large uh, documents or large pieces of markup that you want to test. Um, it also, Enzyme has um, the ability to render in three different modes. So there's, uh, there's a shallow renderer, which basically renders, you know, the top level uh, parts of your, of the component that you pass in. So if you had like some subcomponents, it wouldn't go in and, and uh, render those, which is really useful for kind of stubbing out the child components and doing some unit testing on the top level component that you're concerned with. Um, it has a mount uh, rendering mode, which basically does a full DOM rendering. And this is really useful for testing things like lifecycle methods and things like componented mount and so on. And then it has a render rendering mode, which is basically like rendering to static HTML markup. So if you, for example, have an app that only does uh, server-side rendering, then this is a really good uh, test rendering mode that you could use uh, from Enzyme. Yeah, I think the traversal part like makes it really easy in Enzyme rather than, you know, the shallow renderer with React has. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it kind of gives you some superpowers <laughs> about how you're, you traverse your tree and the certain different things that you could do. It's really powerful. Right. So the Zion 3, again, has come with this uh, adapters uh, setting. Like, what do you feel about it? Uh, yeah, moreover, it's like to make uh, Enzyme work with React 15, React 16, React mm -hmm. 14. But right. uh, like, do you think, uh, why, why do we have this adapters setting? Yeah, I mean, at first it seems like, oh man, this there's this extra step. This <laughs> exactly, extra exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you look at it, it's 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 more for the community around Enzyme because now that Enzyme is sort of agnostic to the UI library you're using, um, it kind of allows more of the community to get involved with Enzyme. Um, so, for example. There, you could imagine, and I think they they have a bunch of these already. But there's um, not only React 15, React 16 adapters, but there's also Preact adapters. There's right. Inferno adapters. There's Vue adapters. Um, so it's really cool to kind of see Enzyme becoming this kind of focal point for how these UI 
libraries can be uh, tested. It's really cool, I think, actually, to see the community kind of gather around this like one library, which is really fun to see. Yeah, I think the overall idea with Enzyme 3 is to get adapted to, say, any kind of libraries, maybe React 16, React 15, Preact, and like so on. Maybe they have future plans as well. But yeah, yeah. I think that, that's, that's great. Uh, so uh, we do have Enzyme to JSON API. So this is basically used when you really want to play around with serializing. So when we actually have uh, these things in Enzyme, why another package again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a, so like the enzyme to JSON, what that basically does is it serializes um, the enzyme rendering so that you can wrap uh, an, a snapshot test around it. So basically... What you used to have to do actually before just 18, I believe, you do expect um, and then you call enzyme to JSON and then you wrap that around the shallow rendering of your component. Um, and then all that is uh, dot to match snapshot. Um, and so it kind of was kind of very boilerplate-y, but now with just 18 or 19 and, and after, there's now these snapshot serializers, which you can configure up front uh, to automatically do this serialization for you. So instead of calling expect paren enzyme to JSON, you could just call expect and then pass in whatever enzyme rendering mode you have. So you can do expect shallow, and then you could wrap that in a two-match snapshot. Uh, so it removes that extra step and the kind of automatic, automatically does the serialization for you, which is really cool. Right. I, I think uh, Jest 18 has come up with internally doing the uh, serializing and you know omit the entire call of you know whatever make to enzyme to JSON. What do you think mm -hmm. again about it? Like so, you know when we start developing things, people uh, uh, start with using enzyme to so maybe they start using a shallow renderer, then they they have to use enzyme, then they again see okay something else has come up. Let me use this. What do you think yeah. about this, you know, uh, migration part? Like more of when you are de uh, working for a very large organizations also where people and developers are lazy to write test cases. <laughs> what do you yeah. think about these, you know, new uh, tech coming up, new APIs coming up? Well, I think it's, I think it's actually, you know, there is a little bit of churn. Like there is, a, there is this sense that, oh, it's moving so fast and I need to change my code all the right. time. Um, but a lot of the times you'll see that, you know, these decisions aren't made lightly. Like when, whenever there's a breaking change, the, they're, they're, you know, in general, the JavaScript community tries to be averse to breaking changes. Um, but when they do happen, they're usually for a good reason. And I think these recent changes have been for the better because, it kind of cleaned up the um, boilerplate that we had to do previously to serialize the objects uh, for snapshot testing. Um, and it also opens the door for, uh, you know, new things like some other serializers. Like you, you could create your own serializer and, and kind of pass in any object you want. And then it would automatically be serialized for you. And then you could wrap a two match snapshot. Uh, so one example actually is, if you're using uh, something like styled components, 
there's this uh, Jest styled components library, which provides a serializer or a snapshot serializer for Jest. Uh, and then by doing that, by adding that, you basically basically get um, the CSS or the styled component um, CSS definitions along with your snapshots. Oh, uh, and it's nice. and it's like this extra thing that you kind of get for free just by adding that snapshot serializer. So I think it actually opens up the door for some really cool um, things that you could do uh, above and beyond what we can today. Right, like like developers have to be really quick in adapting to these technologies and you know uh, implementing <laughs> it at work. So how fast are you uh, at work adapting to these changes? Like. How do you motivate your developers to adapt to these changes? Like, is it like, okay, today you have that, you know, a new tech uh, or technology and you're like, no, let's implement or is there a plan? How do you go about hmm. it? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, so um, I'm, I'm on the team. Uh, it's called the Web Frameworks team. And we're basically responsible for kind of the framework that the feature teams like the home and story team work in. So they're focused on delivering product features and, and kind of like getting stuff out the door for, for consumers, for our readers. And then my team is more responsible for sort of the behind the scenes, like, you know, how testing is set up, like what libraries we're using, like what our infrastructure looks like, that sort of thing. Um, and so, it's it's hard sometimes to be like, hey, you know this thing that you guys have been writing? Yeah, that's we need to change that. Now you're going to write it this way. <laughs> you know, it, we can't just go to them every week or two, you know, it seems as fast as the JavaScript community moves and be like, hey, we need to change how we're writing things. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll kind of like make the case for it first. Like we'll, we'll show them that, hey, you know, you've been writing it this way, but this new thing came in and it's going to, improve this this and that you know and they kind of like buy them into um why it's important why we need to make that change um one example actually is um at the times we were using uh, relay which is a graphql client uh written by facebook yeah um and then we were looking at we were on relay classic at the time so this is before Relay modern landed and at the time we were looking at uh, apollo uh, which is another GraphQL client. Um, and so we were debating between the two. Um, either way, we needed to move off of Relay Classic because it was being obsolete. But um, we, we were looking at uh, Relay and Apollo, and we kind of showed the pros and cons of, of both of them. And we, we had a discussion with the feature teams and kind of like bought them into the process. Uh, we eventually landed on Apollo mostly because uh, it has better server-side rendering support, which is really important for the times. Um, but it wasn't just like, hey, okay, now everybody start <laughs> writing Apollo. You know, we, we spent the time to actually migrate the code base ourselves. In, in some cases, we wrote some code mods to do the transformations automatically so they wouldn't have to do it by hand. But we also like showed them um, some of the new paradigms, some of the new ways that they would need to write um, the components. But we'd also show them like, hey, this is better because, you know, you can defer the queries that you don't need to be done on the server. You could defer it to the client and like other benefits that they get with using the new library. So it wasn't just like throwing it on their lap, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. 
so when would you use jest mocking feature and like what do you what are your views on jest mocking feature um uh, yeah jest mocking is um when i first used it i was actually really amazed it 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 worked so well and kind of it did what you expected and didn't surprise you i think before that i was using uh mocking library i think it was proxy choir um there's a couple other ones too there's like mockery and rewire and that sort of thing but for the most part those um i think what those did was basically uh like hijacked the require call or something and then you know gave you the object that you wrote in the test instead of um the actual node required module um anyway it, the just mocking um was just so easy to use because then um what's really powerful with it is uh you could have this double underscore mocks double underscore folder and then you could define a sort of set of shared mocks for you know libraries or modules that you mock frequently um and so for in our case actually um because we're using uh Apollo and we're using the GraphQL decorator um we basically want to mock that everywhere so we have a shared Apollo mock that we put in a top level double underscore mocks folder uh and that's basically just you know returning the component um that the decorator is wrapping instead of actually doing any kind of uh GraphQL transformations or anything it just returns a component and then we could just put that there and then set up the jest configuration to always mock that um and then any test that's defined um doesn't have to worry about mocking apollo or or any of those decorators it's already mocked for you um and then what's even more powerful is individually you you can have uh each test define its own mock you could use jest.setmock and then pass in the module name or the component name and you can pass in the object that that um module would export um and then you could do that on a per file basis you could even do it on a per test case basis um uh, and it's really powerful about what you can do uh it also has these uh .mock implementation calls where you can specify okay the first time i call it i want you to return this and the second time i call it, i want re- want you to return this other thing um so you could kind of simulate some really advanced like state um and that sort of thing uh with some very easy to use apis uh that we found with jest and we we're really enjoying it so far i think uh, moreover uh, even when we are do, you know dealing with api testing maybe we could use mocks but then i'm really not sure about when the data you really have is dynamic and you know it changes according to uh, the parameters or params you provide should we be using their mock because a mock i think can only be used when you know that you know these are the set of datas which you would be you know comparing it with so in that scenario mm-hmm. where your uh, you know data is not uh, say static i mean i'm really not sure and it depends upon the params do you think we should still be using uh, their you know a mocking feature of jest Um so it depends on what you want to, like what level of testing you want so it's if it's possible and it's not going to be too noisy and it's not going to um make the test suite run for too long you know it's always good to test against real data um but be, you know like you said because it's dynamic sometimes right. 
you'll get a lot of noise in your tests and you might get these failures that, you know, aren't really failures. Um, so if possible, it's, it's good to, um, mock those out and, and test against a known set of inputs. Um, but then you miss out on some edge cases. So there's this other sort of testing, um, methodology. I think it's called like FizzBuzz testing where basically, um, there's these modules that you can use that, um, give you a random set of inputs. Um, so say you, you're calling an API and you expect like some number back. Um, there's modules that will give you like a random number or say you you expect some text back. There's no, there's modules that will give you like a random set of text, like a lorem ipsum or, or whatever, but it randomizes it, uh, so that, you can test against an unknown set of inputs, but at least the types are what you expect. And those are really good for unit tests because those can be very fast to generate. And it also doesn't rely on any kind of network cops or anything like that. Right. So, uh, uh, how, how, what is your, uh, code coverage, uh, at New York times? Like, is it hundred percent? And like, what do you believe? <laughs> Should it be hundred percent? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's not at 100%. I think we're at like 65% or so, um, which is actually pretty low. We're, we're, you know, of course, you, you want to aim for 100%, but that's not practical. Right. Um, I think in general, to be around 80% or so is pretty good. Um, but it really depends on the nature of your application and like how much you really need to test. Um, but usually a, a good rule of thumb is around 80% is good. 100% is like it's you're going to be spending so much effort just to get to 100% that it's almost not even worth it. That like you're better off, you know, building, spending time building your application, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, so do you do you guys also run your test cases in the production environment? Right. So um, so we have a set of unit tests. We have um, some basic integration tests, um, and then we have an, uh, some automated QA testing. So like Selenium based testing, um, and then we also have a, a QA team who does some you know smoke tests and some manual spot checks for any big releases that we do. Um, but for the most part, the unit tests and the automated QA tests, we run those on um, basically every PR. Um, and then before it gets merged to master, we'll, we'll test it there. We are also looking to um, do canary deploys, which is basically um, once code is merged to master or, or you know right before code is merged to master, we actually will put it out in production and send like something like 1% of traffic to it. Oh, um, nice. And then if it passes like a set of criteria, like an, uh, an error rate, it doesn't go above or like um, the response times aren't, you know, less than the production version, that sort of thing. After a set amount of time, then we promote it to um, the full production uh, traffic. Um, and that's sort of, you know, testing in production that we want to get to. Um, and we have plans underway right now to to start doing that. Um, but we're not there yet. We're working towards it. So is it that all of the test cases you guys write uh, are being run through the production environment or, or is it like just some of them? Um, they run through uh, production data, okay. uh, but they're not, they're not run through production traffic yet. Um, and that's sort of the canary deploys that we're looking to do soon. Cool. 
uh, what, what do you think about the future of jest like so it, i think uh, some so, uh, like do you think there are some flaws which needs to be there because i think the the browser testing part is still missing what we have mm. so what do you think about the future like, uh, yeah i don't know that's a that's a good question i mean i'm really happy where it is for uh like unit testing it's like very fast they recently added like multiple projects support which is really cool um but yeah you're right there's not really a good solution for kind of in browser testing and more like higher level testing right. than unit testing and i think that would be really cool to see uh, uh i'm not sure if they're working on that or if that's in their plans but that would be really cool i think that's in their plan uh so uh, what would you recommend like should we test styles or should we not because like um, there are tons of less files that we end up writing <laughs> and yeah. that's really hard yeah. to test so like we are using fella at work mm. so it's a, like mm-hmm. css and js so we using fella and like testing jest with fella like turned out to be a really huge learning curve for us so we you know decided let's just not try test cases for testing styles right yeah that's a good question i think so i don't know if there is a uh snapshot serializer for fella i know there's one for style components right. and then there might be one for some others i don't know if there is one for fella but if there was i would say you know why not throw it in there and include it as part of your snapshot test cuz that would be really easy to to do and you you wouldn't have to do much work. Right. Um but if not there's uh some other ways you can test the CSS. Um uh there's like some visual regression tools that you can use so like you you render the page and it will diff it against like your PR rendering and then if there's any differences there you can you know you know make the call whether or not that's a change that you expected or a change that you wanted um but you know those can be very noisy too cuz then you know whenever something new is added uh, the visual regression will change so those are hard it, it's tricky i don't know T- testing css is I, i guess one of the unsolved problems of computer science right now <laughs> <laughs> right uh good so uh, yeah as our application grows like we end up writing more of test cases do you think there is a way that we can debug our test cases in jest like there should be a way i think mm. um i think there is a way to uh yeah i think there is a way to do like a dash dash inspect for your jest tests Um I haven't actually ever had to use it for the most part I just rely on like console logs. I think uh, I also rely most of the times on console logs. I mean, never used the debug so I just wanted to know whether if you've used. No, yeah, I haven't I haven't had the real need for it for the most part just console logs have been okay. Um I know that like if you're using enzyme there's a a dot debug uh function that you can call around your component tree. and that will basically output the markup um and that can be really helpful at times to see like oh why am i not seeing this component you could just throw a dot debug on it and see what it looks like the last question is like how would you motivate the developers to write a lot of test cases i mean so even in uh, like at work and my team i'm leading a team uh, of react at book my show and mm. it becomes really difficult you know to you know motivate developers to write test cases 
so maybe there are like a uh, hell lot of reasons maybe you know the deadline provided by mm-hmm. your product managers or the business requirements so how do you yeah. still keep them motivated that you know without test yeah. case you shouldn't be going forward that's a good question it's it's kind of, it could be hard to kind of sell testing especially for you know a, a junior team maybe that hasn't um had a lot of experience with a well tested code base um so it's it's hard to kind of sell it up front but over time you know especially if they've ever had to do any kind of refactoring um having a set of tests as like reassurance that you're not breaking anything is really valuable um but in terms of like day to day how do you make sure they keep writing tests as they're writing code um you know the best way to do it is really with a um, a code coverage status check, uh, you know. And, and with Jess, it's really easy. You just throw dash dash coverage on there um, as part of your CI build, and then it will generate a coverage report. Um, and then you could pipe that to like coveralls or CodeCov or whatever uh, coverage um, service that you want, and then it'll tell you whether or not you know the the PR had added coverage or dipped in coverage. And then what you could do is set like a minimum threshold for PRs um, that they have to at least equal to the current coverage. They can't dip below. And in that way, you kind of remove the argument that you have to have with them and um, kind of the debate that you have to have. And then it's part of the PR status check that they'd have to pass. And um, it's a great way to kind of ensure that you're meeting at least a minimum level of coverage and you're not dipping below it. Yeah, I think that's the great way of doing it. Uh, I think uh, that's it. Uh, thank you so much. Do you have anything for me? Um, I, I'm actually I'm curious about like. Um, so you said you're using Fella. What does the rest of your stack look like? So uh, we're using uh, React uh, and Fella, and mm-hmm. at the backend we're using Koa. Oh, cool! Yeah. Yep. So yeah, even it's it's just the start for us. I am getting on to the developers and I'm like begging them, please write test cases. <laughs> But yeah, how many developers? So I have uh, four developers working in my team currently. Mm-hmm. It's a huge cool. it's a huge company, but we have a PWA team. We just shipped our uh, you know PWA last March, I think in the month of March, and we have plans for you know. migrating mm-hmm. our php code stack for desktop as well into react mm-hmm. cool and then is the is like the code that they're writing is it mostly ui components or is there any kind of like modules that have logic in them that they need to write no so mostly uh, we have a design so we have named uh, we've created all together a different uh, library called as framework which is which would only have components so say i have app component i have uh, uh, you know nav bar so all the components like st- pure components will stay in it and i'll only import them in my you know module when i'm using them so this will stay all together in a different repo and and i'll be using them in my module and most of the business logics would be like uh, in reducers mm mm-hmm. gotcha okay Yeah, I was I was going to say cuz if you had to write a lot of like logic heavy modules, one good way to try to get your team to write tests is actually 
assign the, the test writing to one developer and assign the, the module writing to another developer and then have them kind of like, you know, treat it as like a game as they try to work on right. the feature. You're right. Yeah, you're right. That, that, that kind of works, but the team size is like a little bit low. So we yeah. are still, you know, spending nights and but I'm <laughs> making it sure that we're doing it. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough problem. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much. Uh, cool. Yeah, no problem. It. it was a lot of fun. I hope it you really liked. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great speaking with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Take care. Yeah.